Okay, guys, we are in Lesson 17. We're looking at the sixth trumpet. We're in Revelation chapter 9, finishing up that, that part in chapter 9, looking at verse 13 through 21. So we've already seen one of the fifth trumpet, which is one of the three woes, and it was the release of the demonic horde, which is led by Satan. And remember how terrible that was, because... They, they are commanded not to touch anything, not to harm any vegetation, not to, not to do anything, but simply to torment men for five months. So you're really talking about mental anguish is what we're talking about there. And so then, that in itself is terrible, but the angel pronounces, if you look with me at uh, verse 12, an angel states, one woe is past, but still two more are coming after these things. And so we're going to look at the next woe. So notice with me verse 13 and 14. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Okay, so let's talk about what's going on here. First of all, there's a voice. When the sixth trumpet is sounded, John hears a voice from the altar before God. Now again, we're, we're seeing a picture, it's a vision. It really it doesn't really matter to us who the voice is. It doesn't matter how it's coming out of the altar. You just need to know that there's a voice that's, that speaks from the altar before God when the sixth trumpet sounds the trumpet. Now, here's what, he, here's what this voice says. It's really a command. The sixth angel is commanded to release four demons from imprisonment. Now, these four demons, if you notice there in verse 2, where are they at? They're imprisoned somewhere. Where are they at? By the river Euphrates. Now, where is the U river Euphrates, folks? Anybody know where that is, if you know your geography? Iraq, but part of it's in Iraq. There's, it's also somewhere else as well. Syria. Eura the river Euphrates runs from Syria down through Iraq. So you're talking about the Middle East. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that where things are happening right now? Now, let's, let's go on. So... Look with me now at verses 15 through 19. He's going to, the, John's going to talk about these four angels. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Then I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. Okay, so let's take a look here. First of all, the release of these four 
is minutely timed. Look at what it says there in verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year. So he's getting really specific here. This is not just some random thing that's going to happen. They're released right on time when things are supposed to happen. So do you understand what I'm saying? So God is releasing them to do their damage at the right moment, at the right time. Okay, so it's, it's, it's minutely timed. So this is somewhere in the future, this is going to happen. Let's go on then. Here's what they're to do. They are to destroy a third of the world's population. So again, I want you to think about that. Let's say there's 7 billion people in the world. That would be like wiping out the entire Western Hemisphere, North and South America, every person there. That is a lot of people. A third of the world's population. Now, it's interesting because there's a shift now from verse 15 to verse 16 to where you're talking about the demons who are going to kill a third of the world's population to where now you're going to talk about this great army who's going to kill the world's population. So I want to, as we talk about this great army, I want you to help you understand something. The vehicle, many times, by which Satan will attack us is through other people, unsaved people. Do you understand? So when it talks about him killing a third, can the demons kill a third of the world's population? Yeah, they are powerful enough to do that. But I think what the passage is trying to tell us is, is that these demonic forces will manipulate mankind to raise up an army to do the damage for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let's look at it and see what it says here. First of all, the size of the army. John sees an army of 200 million mounted soldiers. Now this army can be human or demonic. The way it's described, it can be human or demonic. They see 200 million soldiers. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that there's an army, there are armies in the world that big? First of all, we know the U.S. doesn't have an army that big. We only have 300 million people living here. But do you think there are armies that big in the world? Yeah, China. China is, in fact, in 1965, China claimed, this is 1965. China claimed to have an army of 200 million people. So it's very possible for armies, world, world powers to have huge armies. In fact, I remember the first Gulf War. How many of you remember the first Gulf War? First Gulf War, Saddam Hussein claimed to have an army of 1 million people at that time. And it was true, he did. He had a million guys. Now, a lot of them got wiped out. With the you know the the, the on on whatever they called it back then the, the the blitz that we did on them, shock and awe. That's right, shock and awe, and they were shocked. Okay, and in awe. So, the reality is, is he sees an army of 200 mounted soldiers. So this is possible, and it doesn't necessarily. You have to understand this is happening in the future. We don't know all the intricate details. It may not even just be one country's army. It may be what several countries' armies. So, here's what we see. Now, here's the description. Whether symbolically or literally, the text implies an awesome 
invading force. Because when you read these things, and this is where the gurus go off on, is when you read these things, when you, when you have the prophecy gurus look at this, they'll say, oh, they've got flaming mouths. Well, that must be a what? A tank. Because, you know, the, the tank belches out fire and, you know, flaming tails. What was that? You know, I mean, so I don't think we need to get too hung up trying to understand exactly what the, what the picture is trying to show us. What we need to understand is, is this is an awesome, mighty force sometime in the future, whether it's an army of tanks and, and helicopters and, and planes that drop out, you know, you know, fire that comes out of their tail. What is that, a jet? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, there's different ways you can interpret it. I don't think you need to understand the minutia of what that interpretation is. I think you just need to understand that there's an awesome army coming that is going to wreak havoc on the world. Does everybody understand? That's what's happening here. So whether you take it symbolically or literally, it is an awesome invading force. Now let's go on now. And here's what they do, and I think it fits with verse 15. The army brings a plague that destroys a third of mankind. Does everybody understand, when you talk about warfare... You don't literally have to, an army doesn't have to literally kill people for people to die. Does everybody understand that? I mean, yeah, you can unleash firepower and kill lots of civilians through firepower alone. Everybody understand that? But there is something so much more to warfare than just killing people with weapons. You destroy whole infrastructures of territory that you take. What then happens? Starvation. Here's another thing. You destroy infrastructure and something else begins to take place. Disease. Pestilence. Armies can cause pestilence. Okay? So, whatever, whether it's through actual warfare, I think it is actual warfare, but the results of actual warfare, the reality is always the same. People suffer, people die. And what the passage is telling us, because of this invading force, a third of mankind is wiped out. A third of mankind is wiped out. Now here's what I want you to see, the power of the army. This army has enormous power to bring destruction. This army has enormous power to bring destruction. So really, what you're going to see here is, is that whatever this army is, they can bring destruction. Now, think about it for a moment. As you look through this passage, as you look through the description of what they can do, I mean, it gives, it gives vivid details like fire, smoke, brimstone. Now, a lot of you don't, maybe you don't grasp what the reality of brimstone is, but do you remember when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? They were destroyed with what? Fire and brimstone. Fire that came down from heaven. Could it possibly be nuclear issues in the future? Very possible. I mean, a lot of nations now have it. I, mean, I think I just read this morning that the North Koreans secretly built another uranium enrichment plant that nobody figured, just found out about. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, powers around the world... The Pakistanis now, the Indians, 
they have nuclear weapons. The Iranians, they don't have it now. They're going to have it. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So the world is, is it a safe place? And if you have people who are bent on... Now, here's the thing. You say, well, surely people have a lot more sense than to unleash that. Because, you know, like, for instance, if you grew up in the Cold War, like most of us did here, there was a deterrent to nuclear war. It was that neither the Russians nor the Americans wanted to be the first one to drop it, to pull the trigger, because they realized the destruction that was going to take it. There was a sanity to it, so to speak. Remember? Here's the thing, though. I want you to remember now, we're not just talking about men or forces or powers that are guided by their sanity. Because they're guided by something else. What is it? Demons, yes. Look, go back to verse 15. I think there's a correlation between them being released and given the command to kill a third of the world's population and this army appearing, and guess what it does? It literally kills a third of the world's population. So what we see here is that there is a demonic influence of world powers, and that happens. You say, is that biblical? Think about it. Think back to the Old Testament. If you've read through the Old Testament, how many of you remember this? Daniel. Daniel has a vision, a dream, and he asks for the interpretation, and he sets himself to fast. This is in Daniel chapter 10. And as he's fasting, he's waiting for the interpretation. An angel appears to him and says, Daniel, from the moment that you humbled yourself, I was sent. But here's what he says. But the prince of Persia withstood me. Now, does that mean it was the literal king of Persia withstood an angel? No. What was it? It was a demonic influence over the kingdom of Persia that withstood him. And he said, until the angel, what? Archangel Michael came and helped me. You see this in the book of Isaiah. Satan is often referred to as the what? King of Tyre. That was a kingdom at that time. What is that trying to say to you? And when you read that passage in Isaiah, one moment you think that it's talking about the literal kingdom of Tyre, but then another moment you realize that the writer is talking about what? A demon. He's talking about Satan himself. So what I want you to understand is, is that demonic forces influence what? Governments. Do you think that happens here in America? Oh, you better believe it. We're not, there's no special exemption with us. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? There's no special exemption for America. Do you understand? Because here's the thing. Who do demons influence, folks? Who do demons influence? Unsaved people. Is most of America saved? No. No, not at all. So the reality is what you see here is that these four demons are released... They influence, they're given the command to wipe out a third. How, here's how they do it. They influence a mighty army to appear, and it inflicts damage on the world. Now, John sees something else here in the vision, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, and that's verses 20 through 21. And it's really the lack of repentance. And this kind of gets back to what we talked about. I mean, I, I think Steve raised this issue last week about their attitude during this whole thing. So look with me, verse 20, 
But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, who did not, did not repent of the work of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and brass and bronze and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Here's what I want you to see. First thing I want you to see is this. In spite of the judgments, men will still refuse to repent and turn to God. In spite of everything that's happened. Now, this, I think this is a key point. Up to this point, we've seen, we've seen the seal judgments. We've seen now six of the trumpet judgments. And up until this point, the writer, is, John, is wanting us to understand that the general attitude of everybody else who is alive is that they refuse to turn from their sin. They just don't see it. They're not going to see it. They don't want to see it. They refuse to repent. They refuse to acknowledge their sin, and they refuse to turn from it. Now, here's the thing. Do you and I see that kind of thing today? Yeah, if you know people, and no matter how much trouble they cause themselves, no matter how many times they get punished, they cannot get away from whatever they're doing. They've got to keep doing it. It's almost like a dog returning to its vomit. You understand what I'm saying? And no matter how many times you try to point that out to them, they can't get it. They just don't see it. They don't want to see it. And if anything, they get angrier at God. God, why are you letting this happen to me? And there's no personal responsibility here. This is what's going on here, folks. Men refuse to take responsibility. That, my friends, comes from one issue. Anybody know what it is? When you refuse to take personal responsibility... There is something going on. Do you know what it is? Pride. Brad said it. Pride. The refusal to take responsibility for your actions comes from pride. Now, isn't it interesting that pride in the Bible is the what? Chief of sins. Pride is what caused Satan to fall. Pride is what ultimately led to Adam and Eve sinning. Let's look at the sin in your life. Can I tell you what it is? Pride. When you sin, you're saying to God, God, I know better than you what I need to do in this moment. That's what, folks? Pride. And so because of their pride, because of their stubbornness of their hearts, even in spite of everything that's going on, there's no turning to God. No turning to God. Do you think we're seeing that a little bit today? I want you to think about, okay, think about the, the disasters we've had in our country. God has allowed them to happen. You think about 9-11, and there was a, and immediately a bunch of folks came to church. But how long did that last? Not long at all. Okay, then we had Katrina and other disasters. Folks, eh, they didn't come to church. We didn't see it in our area, but... How long did that last? No. But you heard an awful lot of people doing what because of those issues? Blaming God. Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God do that? 
See, what you're seeing there is the condition of men's hearts, folks. So let's go on a minute. So their refusal to repent. Now, let me just stop. Here's a question. What apparently is God's purpose in allowing these judgments to fall on the whole creation? So if you think about what we just talked about, what do you think, why do you think his purpose is for these judgments to happen? Okay, Bruce said it, repentance. Is he just wanting to sock it to humanity? Now, you've you got to understand, remember, God is willing that none should perish. But the issue comes to a forefront when he's trying to get the attention of mankind, but they're not listening. They don't care. So, yeah, he's got a reason for doing this. So, I want you to notice with me now, look at the areas of repentance. Look at where they should be repenting, but they're not. Look again, verse 20 did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and the idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood which neither, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. So the first area is this. They refuse to repent and turn from the worship of false idols. Now, immediately, some of you are going to say, you know, uh, hey, George, I don't live in Africa. I don't live in India where they're worshiping millions of gods. You know, I've got an idol everywhere. You know, I'm, I'm not in China bowing down to, a, you know, some idol or something. You know, hey, I'm in America, man. We don't, we don't have idols around here. Well, not idols like that, but you do have idols. And I think the writer very clearly makes the point that they did not repent of the what? Works of their hands. See, an idol is something that you create, and for us it doesn't have to be in our secular society, in our science, even postmodern society that we have now. It doesn't have to be the worship of a, an ornate idol or a carved idol or whatever, it can simply be the work, worship of the works of your hands. I think that in itself speaks for itself. It can be what you have created. So for some, it's their job. It's their achievements at job. It's their achievements in high school. It's their achievements you know, in sports. It's their achievements. It's, it's their idol. For some, it could be their family. I've met individuals where their idols are their children or their grandchildren. It can be education. Met folks where education was their idol. It could be your hobby. Do you understand? It could be what you worship is alive and crawling through the woods right now until you shoot it. Do you know what I'm saying? And you and I have met people like that where their hobby is their idol. Yeah, Sam. Yeah, what's in your wallet? Money, because your money allows you to do everything else. You know, yeah. It could be your house. I mean, we could go on and on and on talking about what the idols are, can we not? But the fact of the matter is, is what they refuse to turn from is their what? Idolatry. Folks, I've seen it. I've seen it among Christian people. 
I've seen it among Christian people where, you know, they lose big on something and, and all of a sudden it's like, why did God let this happen to me? Why is He letting this happen to me? And the reality of what they're saying is, is that my lifestyle is going to change now because I'm not going to have what I wanted anymore. Why did God let that? What were they worshiping, folks? A lifestyle. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like supposedly God is supposed to exempt us from all the garbage of life. No. Salvation is an exempt, isn't an exemption from the garbage of life. The garbage of life happens, period, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You know, when the tire goes flat on a car, it ain't God's fault. When the engine blows up, who's the one that's supposed to check the oil? <laughs> that's what a lot of people think, don't they? God's, God, God's, there are laws of nature that he set in motion. No lubricant in the engine will eventually affect the engine, right? You know, I mean, come on. You know, and so the reality is, is that they refuse to repent and to turn from their worship of idols. Hey, let's, let's ask this question. What's the idols in our lives? You don't need to answer it, but ask, answer, what are they in your life? And if God were to take them away, would that be okay? Would it? Alright, now here's the other one. They refuse to repent and turn from their sins. Look at me in verse 21. And to repent of their murders and their sorcerers and the sexual immorality and their thefts. Here he mentions four specific ones. Murders. Now some of you say, well, I haven't killed anybody. Not physically, but chances are you have killed somebody in your heart and in your mind. Right? Jesus said if you hate someone, you've murdered them in your heart. Sexual immorality. Boy, that's big. Again, starts in the heart. Jesus said if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed it. Thefts. Sorceries. Now, somebody said, well, I'm not a warlock. That's fine. But there are other areas. The fact of the matter is, is what he's trying to say here is that these people refuse to turn from their sins. They're just going to keep on doing them. I think it's interesting, when Jesus talks about it in the Gospels, Jesus talks about that day when he comes back, that people will still be given in marriage. Still, People will still be... I mean, there will be weddings on that day when Jesus comes back. There will be parties. People will go about their lives as normal even in spite of all the terrible things, people are just going to continue on in their lives until Jesus comes back. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because they refuse to turn from their sins. Okay, that's the uh, sixth trumpet, the second woe. Next week we'll progress right on. We get into chapter 10. Okay, let's close our time in prayer. We're going to get ready for the morning worship service.